The following message is entitled, The Hourglass of Mercy. This message was given during the morning service on July 17, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Sermon title for this morning's sermon is The Hourglass of Mercy. I found some places where hourglass was one word and some where it was two, so I flipped a coin. Don't let that distract you from the sermon if you believe that it's misspelled. I can encourage you with this thought. It won't be the first word misspelled on one of my sermon savers. So have mercy. Kind of an odd sermon title, The Hourglass of Mercy, as we are returning, as I mentioned in the, before the prayer for the congregation, and then I repeat now for those remotely listening to the recording, um, this is another sermon in the middle Sundays of the month from First Timothy. Just like last Sunday, we finished grace, and we are now, last Sunday and this Sunday, kind of doing a broad stroke and a cursory glance at mercy. mercy especially as it is for the Christian. As grace saves and grace sanctifies, mercy saves and mercy sanctifies. And I call it a broad stroke because I could spend months on this doctrine of mercy. It's everywhere. What we predominantly see in the Bible is God showing massive unconditional mercy And most of the world, the Jews, the New Testament churches, abusing it or rejecting it. And as we will see once again with Pastor Timothy, right after Paul talks about mercy to him in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 1, right off the bat, Pastor Timothy abuses mercy by wanting to quit the pastor. And as we will learn, quitting God's will in any context is an attack against God's mercy. It's the opposite of endurance as we will return tonight to the necessity in 1 Peter 1.6 of enduring in God's will despite suffering. So endurance is the strengthener of mercy and quitting is the destroyer of mercy. Why the hourglass of mercy? As the introduction says, lessons from the hourglass of God's mercy. That's a little picture of an hourglass. You know what that is, right? It may be too small for some of your decrepit eyes, but it's a glass hourglass sitting on a hill with the sun setting, and the sand is running out of it. It's the hourglass of mercy because there is a time limit to God's mercy both for the lost and for the saved. Maybe you have always thought that his mercy, no matter how you live, will always be there for you. No, not true. Now, we're going to start in the introduction with two individuals who claim to be believers, Saul and Jehoshaphat. The former is an apostate, as I will show you. The latter is a true believer who has been a very, very naughty boy, Jehoshaphat. 
Once he gets rich, he makes some grave mistakes. The hourglass of mercy comes to an end with Saul. The hourglass of mercy continues with some chastisement for Jehoshaphat. Why? When we see both of them at their moment of defiance, they look very much the same. And I spent a lot of time trying to contrast two individuals like this and searching down. There are no better that I have found to contrast than Saul and Jehoshaphat. Kings of Israel, appointed by God both. Saul, if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10, both had wonderful and great beginnings. Saul crashes and loses mercy. Jehoshaphat crashes and is sustained by mercy. Why would that be? Both claim to be believers, both kings of Israel, both have great beginnings, God appointed both. What happened? Of course, this could be an, an entire sermon series, these two, but I'm going to cut to the chase. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, let's start with the hourglass of mercy and Saul. The hourglass, in other words, runs out with him. The hourglass of mercy for Jehoshaphat does not. Um, verse 17, 1 Samuel 10, 17. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. Thereafter Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. Verse 19, But you have today rejected your God. That's an incredible statement. That word in the Hebrew is a form of one of the words for apostasy. This is not a good situation. They have rejected God. No true believer does that, by the way. Verse 19, who delivers, present tense, you from all your calamities and your distresses. How do they reject him? He's going to say right here, yet you have said no, but set a king over us. They went from trusting him to determining for their own country their own decisions. That's how they rejected God. The God who delivers from all your calamities and distresses, the Israelites forcing Samuel to choose for them a king that was not God's plan. In fact, God didn't want a king over Israel. He was their king. And that was not good. God was not to be trusted enough. He could not protect us enough. We need a king like the nation. Someone that we want. We want our will. And that's a rejection of God who delivers us from our calamities and distresses. Samuel now continues in verse 19. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Verse 20. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families and the Matrite family was taken and Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, they could not, he could not be found. So let's just recap this for this moment. The hourglass of mercy is, in many ways, at this point, coming to an end for Israel right here. 
And God had said to the Israelites, you need no king but me. And Samuel certainly contributed to their wayward behavior by having rotten sons. And they were afraid that once Samuel was gone, their rotten sons would take over, I guess. So they're facing calamitous potential for the future, but yet they don't trust God. They decide to trust themselves. And they chose a king that looked good physically. So it's always, instead of trusting God for the nation, they seek a physical solution to a spiritual problem. This is always the way it is for rebels. Always. Verse 22, therefore they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? Oh, now we're going to inquire of the Lord. We want this. Now you do it for us, kind of thing. So the Lord said, look at, look at the irony of this. Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. What a man, huh? That's who they're going to trust the nation of Israel to? Always a human solution leads to utter disaster instead of trusting God alone. Now, that didn't bother them at all because they're not after trusting God back in verse 19. They're after finding the man that they want. And who did they want? So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, so he was, he was crouching down afraid and he rises up. Taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And you can hear all the people go, Ooh. Verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. Shame on you, Samuel, for saying that. Some believe he's being ironic, or using satire. Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? Well, actually, they chose him, but God certainly gave them what they wanted. This is an example of what I said last Sunday, Psalm 106, verse 15. If you really want your lustful desires in prayer, God will give it to you. This is what's going on here. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Hmm. Chapter 13. This is judgment, folks. This is not mercy because they're rebellious. You can write it down under the hourglass of mercy in Saul, it comes to an end for anyone as a believer who's in rebellion. You can write that down. The hourglass of mercy comes to an end for anyone as a believer who's in rebellion. That's what shuts down mercy. Chapter 13, verse 8. Kings confirm, blah, blah, blah. And he has this... Uh, High point of being installed. Now we come to chapter 13. And look at verse 8. Chapter 13. Saul was confirmed. There's war with the Philistines. And what we have here is a really bad situation. Verse 6. Now the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed. So they're suffering defeat. Of course they're suffering defeat. They're, God's judging these people. And when there's this type of defeat, uh, fear and terror take over. Notice verse 6. 
Then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. They're running from God's will. They're running from God. They don't trust God. Verse 7, as some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead, but as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Notice fear. Fear is the day for those who are losing God's mercy. Fear captures the heart of a person who's renounced mercy, and these people had renounced mercy. Verse 8, now Saul waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. God's timing comes to an end. We talk about the steps of a righteous man ordained by the Lord. It's a righteous one whose steps are guided. But what we find is when a people like these renounce the mercy of God, all the timing gets messed up because God is the one chastising or judging. And this was ordained by God to reveal the rebellion of whom they had chosen. You say, well, wait a minute. God chose the king, he, the lots. God chose. You got that wrong, John. Remember Psalm 106.15. They wanted meat, so God gave them meat. And God made sure that if you're going to want a rebellious human king in place of me, I'm going to go through the tribes and families and pick the perfect fake for you fake people. That's what Jesus did. Jehovah God of the Old Testament. So he waits seven days for Samuel, verse 8, according to the appointment, point of time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. What happens? People are filled with fear. and What happens? They're scattering from him. Fear and terror always reign when mercy comes to an end because they don't trust God. The calamities that they feared are upon them. And Saul's a fake. Does he drop to his knees? No, what does he do in verse 9? He takes over the priesthood. This is sheer demonic rebellion. Bring to me the burnt offering and all the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Wow. Verse 12. Samuel shows up. Sees in verse 11 that the people were scattering. And Saul basically makes excuses in verse 11. And look at verse 12. Therefore I said, now, the, this is Saul talking, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. Notice he's not praying to God, he's talking to himself. And I have not asked the favor of the Lord. Oh, so you're admitting that you're prayerless. Hmm. Why wouldn't Saul ask the favor of the Lord? That's the grace of the Lord. Because he's a king chosen by rebellious Israelites who did not want God's favor. They wanted a human, a physical solution to their spiritual problems. Prayerlessness always goes hand in hand with God's people who are in rebellion. And then lying and excuse making, verse 12. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. It wasn't really my fault. You see, I'm kind of schizoid here, Samuel. I'm really righteous and I did not want to do this, but I had to. Why did you have to make that decision? Because you and God weren't there. You don't help. So I have to take charge. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not endure. He's a fool in verse 13. Duh. Verse 14, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And that tells us that the man that God chose wasn't of his own heart. He chose a rebel for a rebel people. He gave them the quail that they wanted. Verse 14, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over this people. 
because you have not, this is state of being here, kept the word of the Lord. That's what a rebel does. Doesn't trust God's word. Mercy ends. Our glass runs out. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. Saul's disobedience just continues to roll downhill faster and faster and pick up speed. Chapter 15, verse 10. And this is where we get to the core of who is Saul really. So many stumble over Saul and... uh, Oh, he was a believer who was back. said, no, he wasn't. He commits suicide at the end of his life. He goes to the witch of Endor. This is a man who was into witchcraft. Well, God brought up Samuel to him. No, he did not in that story. God condemned anyone to death who was doing witchcraft. And you think he'd use a witch to reveal his plans to Saul? No way. That's not the God I serve. What came up out? In the Hebrew it says a personage came up and it altered an appearance. It was a demonic attack led by a witch to dupe Saul. And we see that he isn't a true believer in chapter 15, verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, notice not to Saul, I regret. What a horrible translation. You know, regret is something like we did something bad and I look back and I regret doing that and if only I could go back and change what I did. No, he's in complete control here. It's not regret. The Hebrew word is grief. God is grieved over apostate Israel. I am grieved that I made Saul king. He had to do it. When we are in rebellion and God pulls his mercy down like a roof upon our heads and it crashes and burns because we don't trust the Lord in the sufferings of life, God is not some stoic God upstairs that doesn't care. He had to discipline Israel. He had to give them Saul, but certainly it grieved his heart. And here it is. For he has turned back. One Hebrew verb. Calperfect. Shaab. To turn away. It's one of the words for apostasy. Oh, here we go. God allowed an apostate to be their king. He has turned back from following me. Core issue. Not a believer. No true believer renounces following Jesus Christ. And, mentioned once again, he has not carried out my commands. Chapter 15 Look at verse 26, and we see another core issue of a fake king and what rebellious Christians do and why the hourglass of mercy ends. You can write it then. Saul's mercy ended because he was an apostate. You can write that down. God offers salvation to all. Saul never had it. His profession was false. Chapter 15, verse 26, and we see... Another root issue. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you, Saul, have rejected, Cal perfect again, ma'as, to renounce once and for all the word of the Lord. I don't know what's going on in evangelicalism today, but I'll tell you this, no true believer from pew to pulpit ever renounces the word of God, whether verbally or in practice. And because he renounced the word of God, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. There it is. That's apostasy. 
That's why the hourglass ran out for Saul. He was a fake. He was a rebel. He excused himself. He was chosen for an apostate, predominantly apostate Israel, that once again wants to be like the other nations and like the world around them and did not trust God for their calamities and sufferings and made their own decisions. And this is the result of anyone who claims to be a believer and follows their own will. What about Jehoshaphat? Second Chronicles 18. Another king. Another very, very bad, bad boy. Second Chronicles 18. Starts out so great. Does a lot of wonderful things. True believer here, as we'll see. Second Chronicles 17, verse 4, sought the God of his follow, father, followed his commandments. Notice the repeated violation of Saul was did not follow the word. But Jehoshaphat does in verse 4. Result clause, so the Lord established his kingdom and his control. God always is the one in charge of the kingdom of Israel. He's either controlling it when he allows Saul to be in charge, or he's controlling it when Jehoshaphat, verse 5, chapter 17. Verse 6 of chapter 17, he took great pride in the ways of the Lord and again removed the high places. He's getting rid of the idolatry. This is a true believer. This is a true believer. Look at verse 9, chapter 17. They taught in Judah. He sent out priests and officials to disciple, to preach. Very rare that any king would do this. Hezekiah did this as well. Having the book of the law of the Lord with him, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. He exalts the word of God. Can a true godly believer fall? Yes. And the sad story of his fall is in chapter 18. Not fall from salvation, but fall into rebellion. Second Chronicles 18.1, Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. There it is. He's snared by his wealth and comfort, and he allies himself by marriage with one of the most demonic northern leaders ever, a murderer, a demonic individual, Ahab. There's, there's the fall right there in verse 1. He allies himself. The doctrine of separation in the American church is gone. Separating from false teachers, false, false leaders, whether in churches, mission organizations, Bible schools, none of that matters anymore. We ally ourselves with wicked heretics and apostates, and when that happens, the professed church falls. This went on for years. Verse 2, some years later he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him. That's interesting. Ahab is slaughtering sheep and oxen for him. Sounds like there's some kind of sacrifice going on. Is it just a party? Could be. Or was this an attempt to act like he's a believer like Jehoshaphat? But anyways, regardless of that, they're buddies. At the end of verse 2, and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. So fellowshipping around apostate false leaders like Ahab is a seduction that draws Jehoshaphat in. Verse 3, Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat says, I am as you are, my people as your people, and we will be with you in battle. Together we will serve the Lord. You can't serve God by partaking of evil. No prayer in verse 3, Jehoshaphat. Nice job there. 
You're acting like Saul. You didn't even run that by the Lord. And the Lord is really, really ticked off at Jehoshaphat in verse 3. How do we know? Because of chapter 19 coming up. Where God reads him the riot act about this. Verse 4. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Really? You didn't pray in verse 3. You're asking a wicked Ahab to pursue the Lord. Is that not backwards? So he assembles all his false prophets in verse 5. And they're all positive onlyers. Go up for God, we'll give it into the hand of king. Lie. Jehoshaphat knew they were wrecked and that they were wicked. He knew it. He knows who his family member by marriage is. He knows how wicked he is. He knows these false prophets are no good. So in verse 6 he says, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord? So he just relegated all of Ahab's prophets, all 400 of them, into the camp of Satan. I want one prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him. Too late. You already agreed to go up in verse 3. You've got this backwards, Jehoshaphat. First you make a human decision that isn't God's will. Then you expect God to intervene and okay it. What a mess! Sure, he's seeking the Lord. He should have done that back before verse 3. Oh, rein up your horses here, Ahab. Uh, I came down to visit you and enjoy the hot springs and everything, but now you're asking me to go to war with you? Uh, I need to talk to God about this. No, didn't do that. I wasn't trusting the Lord very well here. I'm not going to read all 34 verses here. Let's skip down to verse 14. They finally find a guy who was in prison that uh, Ahab hates. That should have been another clue. When a person hates God's teachers and preachers, that's a person who's wicked. Ahab hates this guy, Micaiah. So, and we know that he hates him because Ahab in verse 7 said that he hates him. Why? Because he's always negative. That's the basis for which Ahab hates this prophet of the Lord in verse 7 because he's always prophesying evil concerning me. Instead of repenting of it, he just wants to get rid of the guy, so he throws him in jail. So the messenger summons him. In verse 14, when the prophet came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? So Ahab's leading the charge here still. And now again, this is Psalm 106 verse 15. Go up and succeed for they will be given into your hand. That's Psalm 106 15 that we saw on Sunday nights. Go ahead. God says, do it. You're under judgment. And you're going to die on that battlefield anyway, so, you know, go ahead. The king said to him, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Oh, really? Really? What a liar you are. What a, what a bald-faced, cockeyed liar you are in verse 15. You... How many times? You threw him in jail because you kept asking him to proclaim the truth and he refused? Let's go back. Let's rewind that back to verse 7. King of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And now he says in uh, verse 15, he's probably looking at Jehoshaphat. 
we're, we're brothers here. Yeah. You know, Jehovah God, you know. Yeah, you and me, buddy. God, the Word, all that jazz. You know. Did you hear? Did you see the smirk on Micaiah's face? I've tried. I've tried to get the truth out of him, Jehoshaphat. The Lord knows. Verse 15, the king said to him, how many times must I jeer you to speak to me? Nothing but the truth. That's what landed him in jail. In the name of the Lord. So I suppose Micaiah would have done something like this. Oh, okay, well, he wants the truth finally. Sure, but Jehoshaphat fear here, so. Okay, I'll give you the truth. Verse 16. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd, and the Lord said they have no master. Let each of them return to the house in peace. I think that once the prophet said that, if I'd been Jehoshaphat sitting in his wonderful throne next to Ahab, I would have backed away from him real fast and skedaddled. Whoa! Ahab, buddy, you're going down. I'm going down. I'm heading back to Judah. Bye. Jehoshaphat's messed up. Verse 17, Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Wait, wait, you said you, he always speaks the truth. Or you want always the truth from him. Did I not tell you? Micaiah goes on to really nail him some more, really sealing his doom. But of course, God's people never worry about suffering. They only worry about doing what's right. It's not about personal comfort. So Micaiah, starting in verse 8, basically is executing himself, potentially with his words. And what we find out from Micaiah, the real truth, is there's a demonic presence. A spirit in verse 20. It is shipwrecking the situation. Seducing Ahab and seducing Jehoshaphat. When you are out of God's will, you are giving invite for mercy to end, and you're giving invite for demonic attack. Violence occurs in verse 23. False prophet hits him because demonic forces are enraged against this prophet. So the response to this is, Ahab, verse 26, says, I throw him back in prison and feed him sparingly with bread until I return safely. He doesn't believe a word that's being told him because wicked people reject the word of God like Saul. So they gather together. The king of Israel says in verse 29 to Jehoshaphat, this is one of the dumbest moves Jehoshaphat's ever made. This is one completely perplexing. How can a godly man make such a stupid decision and such a ridiculously naive submission to this request in verse 29? Because any believer who gets out of the will of God is going to make horrifically foolish decisions and no one can stop that. Look at verse 29. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, um, Buddy, you know, uh, I'll disguise myself so they don't know I'm the king when we go into battle. But uh, how about you put on your uh, kingly robes? Oh, okay. That's what Jehoshaphat says. King Israel disguised himself. Did Jehoshaphat not realize what was going on here? I mean, isn't this plain, right? Do we need to vote on this? Ahab's a coward. He wants to be spared. He probably inside realized Micaiah was a true 
agent of God, and now he's trying to work himself out of getting killed his own way. I'm going to disguise myself. You can't get out from under God's chastisement. You can't trick the game. You can't change the, the rules of the game. You can't, you can't disguise yourself out from under the sovereignty of God. If he's coming after us, he's coming after us. But Jehoshaphat's the, the good guy. He's a godly king. He should have said, what are you talking about? This is your show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look poor. And you put your robes on, Ahab. Instead, it's, oh, okay, because I don't want to offend. And so I'll agree with your false, false advice and counsel to me, Ahab. Okay, I'll do that. Wow. Our glass is starting to run out on Jehoshaphat. So when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, why would they see him first? Because he's got all the robes on. They said, it is the king of Israel. It wasn't true. And they turned aside to fight him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. Well, who do you think he cried out to? Oh, now he's going to do it. Why? Because now his life is coming to an end rather rapidly here. And he's realizing he's in a situation that was not God's will for his life, never was, but he allowed it to occur. And here's the mercy. And the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. Verse 31. Why? True believer, backslidden, God waited till he was completely laid waste in battle until he broke and cries out to the Lord and realizes the error of his way, then mercy reactivates. That's a warning to all of us. You play with God's will for your life. He'll lay waste to you and I until we repent. Well, he's spared. That's the end of the story, right? Nuh-uh. God is ticked off. Chapter 19. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Mercy. And here's some more mercy. God's going to nail him now. Verse 2. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, doesn't even, no introductions here. Hey, how's, beautiful weather, huh? How's your chariot operating? Right from the jump, as horse racers would say, God tears into him. Verse 2, chapter 19. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? You pursue a wicked plan with wicked people and act like wicked unbelievers, you're wrathing yourself. That's the end right there. Write it down. The hour of glass of mercy... For a believer who's in rebellion leads to severe chastisement. The hourglass of mercy for those that are true believers in rebellion leads to severe chastisement. God took him right to the end of his life, potentially, in verse 31. And then admonishes him. Why didn't God stop Jehoshaphat from uniting with Ahab because when you and I want something wicked he'll let you have it hmm. do you see the difference between the two well 
What happened to Jehoshaphat because of that admonishment? I would put to you that he repented. It doesn't say there in verse 3, but look at verse 4. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, brought them back to repentance, the God of their fathers. And he appointed judges in the land and all the fortified cities. In verse 6, consider what you are doing, for you will not judge for man but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. He knew about judgment from God. He knew it was mercy. He knows about chastisement. He was renewed. Back to the word. Back to discipleship. Back to confrontation. Verse 7, I'll let the fear of the Lord be upon you. And look at verse 7. Please underline this. This is how we know he learned. Be very careful what you do. There's the command for us today, believers. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality with the taking of a bribe. Jehoshaphat learned his lesson. What causes the hourglass of God's mercy to be flipped and start pouring again? A Christian who's backslidden, who learns the error of his or her ways, repents and returns to God's will and God's word. You got it? You figured it out? You and I play games with God. If we're Saul's and apostates, we're doomed. No restoration, suicide. If we're backslidden as true believers, he will chastise us and chase us down right to the edge of death. What does it take to break a rebellious believer? Go back to verse 31 of chapter 18. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, as the king of Israel, and they turned aside to fight against him. That was God directing every chariot, every spear, in a controlled, laboratory, chastising, decision-making from an infinite God to bring Jehoshaphat to the edge of death, to wake him up that he's in massive trouble. As Micaiah continued to sit in prison in a wicked king's northern country, the mercy of God reigns with Jehoshaphat and restores him to his kingdom. God's sovereign. Not everyone who's walking with Christ is spared death by repenting. The Apostle Paul was executed as he stood his ground in righteousness. As we'll see next Sunday, God is sovereign when it comes to mercy and how it plays out. I want to live in the mercy of the Lord. I hope you do too. You want God's mercy. You don't do what you do. You don't do what you want. You do what God wants. That's mercy. And if you choose not to, then he will come after you and chastise you. One last thing before we call it quits. We only got those two done. Obviously, we'll do the rest of this next time, or at least some of it next time. Um, John, what do you see in the body of Christ. Do you see a lot of Christians making horrific decisions in their lives? Yeah, I see that. In and out of our church, the broad spectrum of evangelicalism. Oh, yeah. Well, what do you think, John? What do you think? Uh, 
we got two extremes here, Saul and Jehoshaphat. Um, when you look at the broad spectrum of believers who profess to be saved, Saul professed to be saved, Jehoshaphat professed to be saved, both got into major trouble. Do you think that most Christians in the church today are Saul's or Jehoshaphat's? Well, let's just look at the kings of Israel. After Saul and David, Solomon. Were most of the kings godless or godly? Godless. Were Jehoshaphat's rare? Asa, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, um, Ahaz, maybe? Or Ahaziah, I can't remember. Our churches are filled to the brim with Saul's. Very rare to find a backslidden, wayward believer who truly cries out to God at the moment of the spear's impact, realizes the error of his ways, and re-triggers the mercy of the Lord. The real hero in that story is the prophet, Micaiah, one of the great men of the Old Testament. Did not care about his life. All he cared about was being an instrument of God, and it ended him getting in, put in prison for righteousness' sake. He is a truly Christ-like figure in the Old Testament, and I can't wait to shake Micaiah's hand one day in heaven. What a man. What a man of God. And there's no record of what happened to him after that, is there? Back to prison he went. Probably died there, Right? We don't make bargains with God. We don't say, okay, I'll do your will, but now you need to fix my life and make it better. Micaiah wouldn't think any of that. It's only about being faithful. As Paul told the Corinthians, a steward is known to be righteous by being faithful, not fixing all the problems. God isn't necessarily into that with you or I, but what he is into is granting mercy in the midst of the problems. I love those two stories. Because they're warnings to all of us. Severe warnings. Don't play games with God. You think you can get away with it like Saul and makes excuses? I just had to force myself to do the sacrifice. We can lie to each other, dear believers, but we can't lie to the infinite God of this universe. And if you're a true believer like Jehoshaphat and you're messing with sin, he is coming after you and he will take you to the edge of death if you do not repent. The end of the story for a rebellious believer is death if they do not repent. The end of the story for an apostate believer is hell because they cannot repent. You see the difference? Jude tells us that an apostate cannot repent. The end of a Saul, an apostate, is hell because they cannot repent. The end of the story for a rebellious believer is death if they do not repent. Lord, we don't, hopefully in this room here or are listening to the recording, want to ever be either one of these men in their fall. We want to be Jehoshaphat's pre-fall. We want to be Jehoshaphat post-fall. We never want to be like Saul. And how would we be like Saul? How would we know? 
lying, scheming, rejecting Christ in our hearts, rejecting his word. And the ultimate end for such a fake is death by one's own hand. Oh my goodness, dear Lord. May Jehoshaphat's renewed tribe increase and may the Saul's be put down by you. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly in this apostate age. In your precious name, amen.